0: This episode of the Proceedings Podcast is brought to you by the members of the U.S. Naval Institute. Our members write, debate, and discuss key issues that ultimately strengthen the Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. Benefits include a subscription to our award-winning Proceedings Magazine, discounts to over a 1,000 titles from books published by the Naval Institute Press, and graphic novels from Dead Reckoning, a discounted subscription to Naval History Magazine, special invitations to conferences and events, and access to 146 years of archival information such as historic photos, oral histories, and so much more. For more, go to usni.org join. Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach and Marketing. Joining me for this special episode is the Proceedings Editor-in-Chief, Bill Hamlet. Happy New Year, Bill.
1: Happy New Year. Our first episode of 2021, 201st episode overall.
0: Yep. And we're hitting the ground running this year with a fantastic guest. So take it away.
1: Yeah. January is always the uh, surface Navy focus for proceedings. So the January issue of Proceedings is out uh, hopefully, it'll be hitting people's uh, mailboxes soon if the U.S. Postal Service doesn't let us down, like they have the last couple of of episodes. But, and we always focus in January on the Surface Navy because it's uh, it coincides with the Surface Navy Association's annual symposium, and that kicks off virtually next week, uh, 11 to 14 uh, January. And so, our guest today on the uh, on the podcast is uh, Vice Admiral Roy Kitchener, Commander Naval Surface Forces and Commander Navy Navy Surface Force Pacific. And he is one of three co-authors, tri-authors, of an article that we've got coming out uh, called What Got Us Here Won't Get Us There, an article about changes in uh, high-end tactical training for the surface force. So, Admiral Kitchener, welcome to the podcast.
2: Well, gentlemen, thanks for having me today, and, and thanks for allowing me to come on here and you know, ahead of SNA and, and talk a little bit about some of the great things we're getting ready to do in the surface force in the next year. Um, you know, it's a very surface-specific uh, discussion today for me, but I think uh, it applies to the broader Navy at large on and, and sort of where we need to go and, and, and how we need to change things up, particularly in the, in the surface community. Um, but as I've kind of gotten into the job over the last um, four months, I guess five months I've been here now, um, you know, one of the things is, as you go and do your assessment is we've really invested heavily in, in, um, in training over the last three or four years and really built a great foundation of our mariner skills training. And uh, now we think it's time that, okay, we've, we've kind of built that foundation. Now, how do we get towards this high end fight that's required in, you know, in great power competition? And so that's sort of what we're going to lay out a little bit and talk about today and, and, and even more next week during SNA. And, and some of the things that we need to do to enable that, because as, as you both know, it's not only, you know, getting the access to that training and the things we've come, but taking the time to do it, giving sailors and junior officers the opportunity to practice those skills. And, uh, and I think we're getting better at it, but, but this is going to be sort of what I consider uh, our launching pad in, into, the, you know, into the next 10 years as we, we start developing, you know, from the ensign, all the way to the captain you know starting off as that sort of apprentice tactician and then developing them to that warfare commander at the 6 level with a continuum they can follow along that um, and so that's what I hope
1: to uh, convey today so sir uh, what got us here won't get us there so this is this is really a, a if not a refocusing it's a new focus on tactical training and on on the high-end fight so talk about that a little bit how how this is a kind of a change in focus for the surface forces? Well, I think from the surface force perspective,
2: you know, if you look back a little bit, you know, historically, and and when we came up with Aegis and and then Tomahawk, what I consider the two seminal, you know, systems that that brought the surface force, you know, as a big player into the fight uh, in the 80s and 90s and into the next decade. Primarily, if you think about it, other than Tomahawk, Aegis was mostly a defensive weapon. Uh and now the fight we're looking forward to is um or is offensive fight and we haven't really focused that much on that and most of our training we've always had sort of a gold standard of our TAO course at the department head level you know for example uh when I was a department head and went through that training it was very focused on soviet threat you know you had to memorize the entire inventory of soviet ships and and the platforms and the radars it was a very good and a very effective course And we've continued to uh, have that over the years, but our trainers always lagged. You know, unlike the aviation community, it was very difficult for us to develop what I would consider state-of-the-art trainers. Aegis brought that along. When we stood that up and we built Dahlgren, we had a very exclusive set of trainers that we were able to get everybody through, but not necessarily for all of our other ships' uh, platforms and then as we've, we've developed over the years, and now we're mostly ages ships, and, you know, fewer platforms, less uh, variants, that's allowed us to build some really uh, state-of-the-art import trainers where now we can dedicate time to that. Um, and in order to, to, to get into that offensive mindset and win that future fight, I mean, we have got to practice at it more than we were. We always had onboard training systems uh, that have been pretty good. Um, but now the import trainers and then the, uh, you know, we've sort of, interestingly enough, the surface force has sort of led the way on the live virtual cr- construct. Because as you know, we can never generate enough four aircraft or threat emitters or OPFOR ships. Uh, nowadays, with our live virtual construct that we run on both coasts, um, we can create an incredibly um, complex scenario where our operators on board the ships at sea you know, their systems are being stimulated by the actual sensors they're going to see. And we've created that robust environment where you don't know what is live and what isn't. It's just a, it's a very great picture. And so we've added that into our advanced and integrated phase. And, um, and we've got to get to that level because that's the threat we're going to face. So pretty excited about that. And, and I think, you know, and the uh, we've we've introduced SWAT when we developed our Surface Maritime and Mine Warfare Development Center, as you probably remember, probably it's about um, five, six years ago now we did that. You know, it's, uh, in partnership, we, we leaned heavily on Nautic and then the sub guys had theirs. Uh, that is now turned into a, a really good uh, focus point for us. And they run, I mean, I just took a brief this morning, we're getting ready to do our, our at-sea train, what we call the SWAT. Uh, you know, we're going to take 12 ships to sea, and this is prior to COM2X, doing some very complex training, using the LVC, using our weapons tactics instructors. I mean, we can talk about witties as well. Um, you know, we've developed those over the last six years. I don't have enough. I've got to figure out how to get more and how to incentivize more people doing. It. I think I'm at the point where I probably just have to pick our best and brightest and say, hey, you're going to be a witty and I'm going to make it worth your time because I need you in the community. Um, and, and so those are, are sort of the building blocks we're using. Um, and then that but the trainers are so we can do it in port and get those watch teams focused before we go to sea is one of my big priorities over the next couple of
1: years so sir is uh is SWAT the uh, surface warfare advanced tactical training is that something that happens either at sea or in port via live virtual constructive or is it always at sea and you add, you're adding in the live virtual i'm sorry the virtual and the constructive part of it
2: oh it's a great question and, and you know what we do is the first phase is all import, right? We we do a uh, we we've, we've got a really good curriculum we go through, you know, so that you'll we'll send out out to the ship. We'll have the witties come aboard and they'll review it. They'll go through all the exercises they're going to do. Very focused on tactics, you know. One of the things we've really been focused on lately is um the SAG v SAG role. We we discovered that you know we're putting together SAGs as we go to sea. But have we really trained everybody down to the, the individual watch stand or what it is you're actually going out there to do? And and, uh, and so we do that now. So that first import phase is primarily academics uh, going over TTPs, a little bit of, um, of watch watchstander training uh, where we use some LBC, but mostly the onboard trainers. And then the next week, and then we'll, oh, and we also do a C5I fast cruise, so we make sure all our systems are working. And we'll walk through with – we'll bring in some of the JICOs and walk through some, um, some complex link operations, you know, where we're doing some split link things so that they know how to do those before we go back out there. And then the second week, we go to sea for two weeks, and we usually do, you know, a strong week of training. And then it eventually transitions in. The, the culminating event is sort of uh, – we do a live fire at sea. Uh, and for the next one, you know, 12 ships out there, everything from LCS to cruiser. So you can imagine that's a pretty neat event. And then the, the complexity of the live fire, it's not like when I went out there and did it as a department head or even uh, maybe as a CEO of a destroyer. Now we're using things like, you know, we'll stimulate the systems. OK, you're going to do this one um, on ES only, you know, this shot or this is going to be a supersonic threat. And we're going to use Doctrine, and it's going to be CEC-enabled. So we're getting to that kind of level of uh, complexity, which is uh, pretty exciting for us as we, as we flex all these systems. And that, remember, is really just in preparation for the advanced phase when we go oh. out with the barrier for Comp 2X. You know? and, um, and so we're really getting uh, – it's, it's the best training I've seen in a very long time. And, and we're, we're trending in the right direction Navy-wide
0: couple of SNAs ago, we spoke with some of the Witties at the event, and that's actually a, an episode of the podcast. And if you haven't heard that, listeners, I very much invite you to check that one out. So to your point, Admiral, this cadre of lieutenants, the Witties, are a super impressive bunch. They're not living in the shadow of any other warfare, especially they're very forward-leaning. So one of the tenets of the white paper that we're talking about today is every SWO a warfighter. Let's talk about that a little bit.
2: Yeah, you know, I, we, we kind of wrestled with that a little bit because I was like, well, wait a second, we've always been war fighters, right? You know, but but what we gotta do is we've gotta build that continuum. I mean it's it's for example, we're we're mariners, right? We're all mariners first, and that and that is the foundation of everything we do. Um, but we have all got to be war fighters, also. And, and I really, you know, this isn't just about uh, the officers, right? This is about the enlisted cadre also. We've got to develop that force at the same pace and, you know, where we've got apprentice, journeyman and master, both technically and tactically. And you could argue that perhaps we've sort of uh, marginalized the tactical part of that a little bit. And so one of the things we've sort of brought back is, you know, the, the warfare tactics course, uh, where if you went to if you were in the original Aegis program and you went to Dahlgren, you would get a pretty good level of technical training plus the tactical, and you'd see our you know our chiefs in there, our master chiefs, our combat systems maintenance managers, and they were all considered to be tactical watchstanders as well. Um, I, I think we need to get back to that, and 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 the other thing is, you know, not only do we need to train to that, but we've got to start. Um, putting value to it and tracking it, right? Which is something that we've struggled with as a surface community in the past uh, where now we can, you know, how do I value that? And and Smittik is working on this for us uh, where it's, okay, I can track, you know, Ensign um, Hamlet all the way from when he's getting his initial training at ADOC Tactics and then at Department Head. Okay, now what's he qualified for? So as I start putting together watch team continuity, you know, you have a much a uh, better way to evaluate what your team has what your commanding officers that your ISIC can look at um, and, and, and so i think that's something that i'm pretty excited about uh, but that's how we get to all being warfighters and then more importantly giving them the time to train that right that's always the most elusive thing uh, underway we tend to do pretty well at that when we're you know in port fighting the battle of you know what is commonly referred to you know of san diego or norfolk is as that time is elusive. And, and I think that's something that I've really got to focus on. And that's probably the number one thing that junior officers, when they talk to me, sir, that's great. We agree with you. We all want to be war fighters, but to be a good war fighter, here's when and the amount of time we need to practice and here's what we need. And so I think we've got the tools. Now I've got to
1: find the time for them.
2: And so that's, you know, that fits right into that man training equip bucket for me.
1: Sir, so I got to ask you a question because it's uh, also in the January issue of Proceedings. Uh, young Lieutenant Kyle Craig wrote an article called "Unleash the Surface Warfare Surface Enlisted WTI's." So, the, and the article is doing really well online. Uh, the idea there is that uh, the the WTI status, that sort of warrior monk, if you will, shouldn't just be for officers. It should also be for, you know, some of the the senior enlisted watchstanders because, you know, those uh, fire control men, the e6s and above they're they're probably even more competent and and much more um you know tactically proficient perhaps than than you know a jg would be right so where does that idea does it resonate with you is that an idea that you guys are exploring you know what uh what's happening with the wtis in in terms of maybe uh the enlisted force
2: yeah that's a great question i'll I'll have to go back i have not read that article my focus on uh because i completely agree with that uh With that thesis that yeah we've got to make sure we harness that uh power as well Um, right now i've been focused on again creating master you know technicians and tacticians there and they are part of the swick tick i mean when we developed when we looked at this surface warfare tactics continuum uh what i said is hey this has got to be for our sailors as well i've got to be able to value where they are And so I can do the same thing. And and then, you know, it it also dovetails, honestly, with another initiative that we've got going that I'll talk about a little bit next week. And, and, you know, I was always intrigued by the aviation. Uh, They went after this metric uh, of Amex. You know, hey, if I have this much experience in my maintainers, my squadron readiness will be higher. Um, and, and I started thinking, Hey, maybe that's something we can do. And, and for us, it's almost a little bit twofold, right? Because not only, um, do we have some, for example, sonermen are are not only technicians, but they're tacticians. And so if I can start measuring that quality in them, and then looking how I distribute that across the force, and then regardless of across the force, but within the community, It's uh, I'm going to get much higher A sub O out of my systems. I'm going to get a higher warfighting rate. And so that's something we've started out. and We picked um, a number of rates. We picked Sonerman, uh, Aegis FCs, which we've actually done quite a bit more work on already. Um, Gas turbine uh, technicians, electrical and mechanical, uh, engine men and quartermasters. And, And so that sort of fits dovetail with this um but i don't know if i'd call them witties at this point but i'm i'm not opposed to that idea but i think uh, for our sailors i want them to be master tacticians and master technicians and and i do think that's something that i probably you know need to make worth their while um you know quartermasters is the other one right i mean we've developed a really robust uh quartermaster program now that uh and it's so good that I've had to stand up some other um, preparatory classes before I send them up there because we made it so challenging. But The folks coming out of that are, are, are really high end and, uh, and they love the training. And, and that's my master quartermaster. Again, don't have enough. I've got to figure out how to get more through. Um, and so we've got these these what I would call good problems. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we need our enlisted folks to be leading the charge
1: right alongside us. The next major bullet in in your paper is learning to employ the weapons of the future, and this uh, talks about cruise missile command course SM six naval strike weapons. So, um, w- what's happening with those weapons as they become you know integrated? We watched the uh, the deployment of the uh, naval strike missile on the Gabriel Giffords, for example, that first LCS to be armed up to, you know up armed with the, that missile. Yeah, I
2: think that sort of goes back to my earlier point is that. You know, traditionally we had, you know, a cruise missile tactical course where, OK, we're going to we're going to teach you how to employ Tomahawk, right? Land attack mode. And we're going to teach you how to um, employ Harpoon. Uh, very good courses. Um, but, you know, uh, very focused on just those systems. And so uh, the team, you know, a bunch of smart 06s 6s came to me um, this fall and said, hey, sir, we've got a really good idea of, of um how to create and, you know, we can make that course more robust and we can call it, you know, an offensive, um, a maritime offensive course with tactics and include SM6 and NSM in there and, uh, and look at some other things, including the SAG tactics and, and how we're going to get after this. And uh, so I said, OK, show me what you have. Um, thought it was really good. And, you know, they, they leveraged some witties. And so we're going to kick that off here in the um, in the springtime. And uh, I'm looking forward to that because uh, they've come up with some good stuff. And as you know, if you've seen in the news over the last uh, six months or so, you know, some of the, the uh, things we've done with uh, containerized systems and things like that, uh, there's, a, there's a very um, there's a high demand out there is, hey, what can we put those on? And then, OK, how do we employ them? So this is the OK, I better get in front of this problem because it's a good thing coming. And, uh, and train a cadre on how to use them. So that's that's sort of what I'm talking about there. And then I think the dovetail with that was the um, they came at the same time with the uh, the proposal to get the enlisted folks back up to uh, involved in tactics with that um, warfare tactics instructor, or the, the tactics instructor course, more like the coordinator course, I'm sorry, that's what it is, um, that we used to have. And so those sort of go hand in hand as we move forward. But um, yeah, I think that's the first time, honestly, that uh, we've committed to what I would say is an offensive course. Harpoon employment, yes, was always a little bit offensive, but these are focused on SAG tactics, okay? I'm going to put together a SAG, and I'm going to aggressively go after the enemy.
1: Uh, Sir, so you, you touched a little bit earlier on uh, you know, LVC, live virtual uh, and uh, constructive, um, in, in one of the Paragraphs here, you talk about the uh, Combined Integrated Air and Missile Defense uh, Warfare Trainer, the CIAT or SIAT. How do you pronounce that? Yeah, it's
2: the Ciat we call it. So C-AT. it's the, okay, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough acronym because it's, what is it, Combined Integrated Air and Defense and Anti-Submarine Warfare Trainer. And, uh, and it's actually pretty neat. We have one in San Diego and we've got uh, one out in Norfolk. Uh, both been up and running now. I think Norfolk's been up and running for about a year in San Diego, I think two years. Uh, it's built on a baseline nine Aegis architecture. So it's, it's not a fit with every ship, but it gets you, all the consoles are all the same. There's some, you know, baseline software differences, but anybody can take their ship over there and exercise with it. And the ASW side is a, a Victor 15, uh, variant, which is primarily what we have on all our ships now. Uh, and, and so that works really well. Um, but what we've seen, if you go in there, I mean, it is like being on the ship. And, uh, again, fully stimulated, you know, you're going to see the real thing uh, when, you, when this, there's this threat missile out there or threat emitter. That's what you're going to see. That's what your operators are going to see. Uh, and you can take your watch team over there and, and, and do some pretty high-end exercises. So we've seen, you know, I think Mobile Bay was in there. I was talking to the CEO there. He had been taking his, uh, his uh, CIC team throughout the shipyard, right, when you're completely down and everything's inaccessible. He gets in there with his team and then he's already, you know, marching down through his basic phase, way ahead of schedule. And uh, we get a lot of use out of it. And and I just encourage everybody because I think at first there was a little bit of uh, trepidation. Well, it's not really my baseline. It's like, Hey, look, it's consoles. You can get your sailors in there. It's got the latest version of slick 32, you know, sea whips in there. And so to sit sailors down at consoles like that, as you all know, um, where they're actually doing things and learning about their systems. And we bring in whitties from Smittic to help them out. It, it, it's, it's really good. And, and we've sort of got a spinoff on them, right? Because obviously those are in the two uh, main fleet concentration areas. But we're looking at these other virtual operator training things. sort of like, uh, and I'm overselling it a little bit, but it's sort of like SEAT in a box, right, or in a trailer. And we, we're bringing those out to all the other fleet areas, you know, Mayport, Rhoda, Sasebo, Yoko, uh, and so they have access, our sailors there, to the same type of training. A little bit less, but still pretty darn good and better than what we've had out there.
0: I want to jump ahead to uh, one of the later bullets, empower commanding officers. That, that's an interesting one. Uh, let's talk about that because, you know, to the average listener, they'd be like, don't commanding officers have like ultimate authority at sea? So what are we talking about there?
2: I think when we talk about empowering commanding officers, you know, and it, and it kind of goes back if, when I look across the, the spectrum of, of what we're going to require, be required to do in, in the fight. I mean, it truly is uh, what we value and how we're going to fight is through that mission command. I mean, I almost don't like that term because that's, you know, Army kind of stole our command term, but uh, that that commanding officer going out there, being given some direction, being given some parameters And, you know, hey, you get out there to this point and this is what I expect you to do. Uh, And so when I say empower in there, I want to make sure he's got the right tools, that he's got the right education on tactics, that we've given him the right team, and that he's being able to give him a little time to not only build that team, but then be able to flex it where he thinks. You know, one of the things we just talked about, Uh, in a SWAT pre-brief that I had earlier today was, okay, this is really good training, captains. Now, at the same time, you know, what else are you going to do while you're out there? Because I've got very fixed things for you to do. How are you going to leverage that and make yourself even better? And we've added a couple of events into all our training things where in our basic phase training, we've added in a final battle problem where we say, hey, look, you tell us what you want to do. And we'll see, these are the, the minimum requirements. But what is it that you want to do? And we'll enable that. And and some of them have come up with some just incredible ideas. You know, using the things out in the operating area, from traffic separation schemes to other things to confine themselves and present their their uh, teams with problems, as well as the damage control things. So that's what I kind of talk about when I, I want to empower them. I want them to be. We we need to enable them to sort of get to that next level. We talk about culture of excellence a lot, right? Well, what really is that? That's enabling them to get the most out of their crews. And, uh, and I think our trainers have enabled that. I think our curriculums are much better than that. Our accession training has helped that. And then I, I, I go back to my theme again that I've just gotta make sure I give them the time to enable their teams to get to that next level.
0: That's can be a, a, a tough balance to strike, uh, sir, because I remember back when the SWIFTY program first was incorporated, that there was some chatter among COs that they had lost their autonomy with respect to training sorties and, and you know, the priorities against the other, the, all the mission areas, particularly the Tomcat had. Uh, so as we're talking about WTIs and standardization and centers of excellence having oversight, and then you also want to empower commanding officers. There can be some tension there. Are you seeing any of that?
2: I, I haven't seen a lot. I, I, well, I, would, I haven't seen a lot, but I have seen some. And uh, and I would expect there should be some, right? I, I'm, a, I'm one of those guys that I, I kind of like a little bit of friction because I think it allows us to bring out the best in our people. It makes us kind of pause and, and, and think a little bit more. You know, I'll tell you another area where we've sort of got after this problem a little bit is uh, we, we looked at our, and th- this was interestingly enough that this kind of came out of, um, of COVID-19. One of the unexpected consequences for the fleet, the surface fleet anyway, was okay, we've got to force generate. Uh, the normal way we do it is we have, you know, you're in a basic phase. It's 24 weeks to get through all these structured events. Um, ATG Pacific or Atlantic uh, provides training teams to work your teams through these events. Well, That's very challenging, right, when you've got COVID, because I'm I'm introducing vectors from outside the ship. How am I going to continue to force generate without uh, spreading the infection throughout? So I simply told uh, at the time the ATG commander on the Atlantic, hey, I I just want to force generate and I don't want you spreading the disease. Figure out a way to do it. And he kind of came back with this, what I would call the old ref tray model when I was a J.O., where we put uh, a bunch of ships three ships with about the same schedule in the basic phase uh, and said, okay, you're all going to get underway because we know that, you know, uh, time, the temporal part was helpful to us. 14 days out there, you're going to, you know, theoretically based on the science, the virus is going to be dead. And I'm going to put, uh, about two or three training teams out there and we'll just swap them between ships. Well, we went out there and did it and we were able to, um, finished the training, one, a lot faster, as you can imagine. Three weeks at sea, we knocked out all the basic phase requirements, uh, the tier one requirements. Um, We we got better at self-sufficiency of repairing things. And more importantly, the captains came back and said, hey, sir, we actually got more time with our, our crews because ATG wasn't, you know, 24 hours they weren't training. And when they weren't, we were doing things. And so, um, you know, it's that old, you know, what's the best way to train as you go to sea, right? That's what we do in the Navy. Um, and, and so we're, we're bundling that up and we're going to sort of take all the lessons from the East Coast and West Coast and we're going to implement that as the way to train into the future. Um, and, and so I think that was really good. But you're right. There'll be friction. I think that's OK. I think the friction will make us smarter and, um, you know, and, and, and it'll help me understand what are some things that I probably are doing that we don't necessarily have to do that we can remove? And at the same time, it'll bring up what is important for us. So I think your point's valid, but I also think it's, it's something that's it's okay to coexist with.
1: One of the things that's mentioned in your paper is uh, Surface Development Squadron 1. So SMITIC is still pretty new, five, six years old. Surface Development Squadron One just stood up in 2018. It's uh, it's relatively new. It, I know it's been charged with developing surface tactics, some of these advanced tactics that you're talking about. Uh, the zoom waltz fall under in a squadron underneath that uh, development squadron. So what what kinds of things are happening with the the zoom waltz and with that squadron and uh, tactics development? Uh, that's exciting to you. I think
2: uh, you know number one, I would say is the um the USVs and the implementation there the things we're doing with those where we we've, we've really kind of put a big focus on it and said okay um, as you know there's a there's a lot of uh, people interested in okay first of all we've got to get the autonomy correct right i've got to be able to have a vessel that goes out there that follows call regs you know can self sustain itself and report things so there's all those what i would call uh, infrastructure or mechanical housekeeping things we've got to get right so as part of the test program We've got to do that stuff. But at the same time, we've really put a big focus on, all right, I got it. We have to do that. But at the same time, let's do as much tactical training that we can. And how would we employ these? Uh, and what missions do we want them to do? Uh, and so we've got Sea Hunter out here. Um, and we've got, I think, Ranger coming and we share some other assets with with DOD. Uh, but we've done some stuff with you know, weapons firings. A lot of the focus we have is on, um, you know, ISR, uh, Intel collection, things like that. Um, how do we, can we command and control these vessels remotely, uh, from other ships? How do we integrate them? We've been integrating them into our, um, or some of our SWATs and our Comp 2Xs. Uh, can we, you know, put a a tail on them to do ASW? It's, 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 it's kind of been exciting because it's, Hey, somebody have a good idea? All right, let's put it on there and see as we send them out to sea, and get some of these things done. Um, and then the the uh, the correlation or the integration with the some of the DoD efforts are really kind of exciting when you look at some of the um, the weaponization things we're doing. But primarily, we've been focused more on. The, the C-55 stuff and how we're going to use them for that. And then on the Zumwaltz, uh, which is, uh, if you ever get a chance, go down to one. It's a very unique vessel that we, we really did build with the, you know, the right space uh, and power requirements for future systems, you know, as, as we bring in uh, lasers and things like that. I mean, it is a ship that has room for that stuff. And so we've been, uh, we had our first successful um, missile launch here back in the spring. Uh, we're looking at integrating them into a, uh, a battle problem here in the spring. We're going to do with some USVs. Uh, and, and so I think that's going to be kind of ex- exciting. Um, but, you know, the idea would be sometime in the future. I think FY22, we're looking at the first time uh, to get them out on, you know, once they get IOC, get them out on some kind of operational employment. But uh, they are fantastic ships. And, um, you know, there's some challenges with them, like any new class of ship with some sustainment, things like that. But uh, it is, uh, they, are, they are, I'm really excited about those ships. A lot, of, a lot of good capability there.
0: Another thing that reminds me of the early days of the SWIFTY program, Admiral, is the bullet where you talk about prioritized tactical development in our best officers. And we've talked a little bit about the WITTY program. One of the um, unintended negative elements of, of the SWIFTY program was what you're talking about here, which is it becomes a career pipeline. It becomes a career path. And so I know some guys who are like anointed to be the WTIs, or the Swifties, and go to Top Gun, the new 10-week instead of six-week program, they're like, I don't know if I want to be a training officer for the rest of my life until I'm an 05. I think you're on the right track with the incentives like postgraduate education and so forth. But have you heard any pushback, or are there any concerns around the idea that the Witty program could be like too defined?
2: Um, I, you know, it's, it's a great question because I get a lot of feedback on this one. Um, one, I think everybody really likes the idea of being a witty, uh, but two, they are a little bit, um, you know, there's a little bit of angst about what you just brought out. Now I will tell you, uh, they screen at a higher rate to command than everybody else. I mean, so that's clearly we're getting the right people. Um, it's, uh, they are concerned about, uh, you know, as I came into the job, I'm like, well, I, I would go around and I get a lot of questions. Well, sir, you know, like to be a witty, but, and I'd be like, okay, well, what's the concern? And then we, you know, we'd gone out and done these surveys and, and the big one was, um, you know, for, uh, if, if you weren't going to go be a witty, you had plenty of time to go to graduate school or some of the other Gucci, uh, shore tours that we had. And they were, be, they were saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm being excluded from some of that for what you're considering an exclusive program. So I said, OK, well, let's take a look at that. And so we came up with, so, you know, the first one was like a witty scholarship. Um, and then we're looking at just opening it up. I said, hey, let's take a look. We control some of our billets here at, at MPS. What do we want to do? Um, but you're right. we have I, I think we have to make it worth our while. If we're going to do it, we have to say, yeah, we we want our best and brightest and, and this is what I'm going to do for you to get you going on this path. And, and, uh, and at the same time, we never want to lower the standard because they're, they're like you said, they're an incredible bunch. I mean, I've watched them, you know, sit there and brief the four star and then I've watched a mentor, the, the third class petty officer at a console. And you know what? The impact was just as significant on both those people. So we're doing something right. And, um, you know, I'd like to take all the credit for it, but people that came before me, and then we looked at the programs from the aviation community, and so I think it's uh, it's something we've got to continue to grow, and we've got to nurture it, and, and um, we've got to come up with a, a way to
1: make it worth their while. Sir, sure. how's how's things going on the Manning front? Uh, both the uh, you know the fit and fill on the ships, uh, percentage of, uh, of of ships crew, and then uh, retention. You know, we had Vice Admiral Cottle, your submarine counterpart, on the show back in uh, October. You know, and he he admitted that there were some you know, challenges to retention submarine force JOs and the things that they're doing to do to, to get after that is curious how it's going uh, in the surface force. Yeah, I'd say, you know, from across the, the force, um, manning continues
2: to be a challenge. We still have gaps at sea. Um, we are still working towards the, you know, the fit fill requirement that's, that we have, um, there's a lot of work going on on, okay, is that the right requirement? You know, do we have the, is that the right metric to use? Or do we need to go back and sort of understand, okay, what does it take to do the high-end fight, do all the maintenance? Do we have everything crunched into that? So that's sort of something going on to the side. Uh, But as we work towards the the fit-fill numbers that we have now, uh, I would argue that, yes, we have bought more billets. Um, As you both well know, um, they don't arrive, you know, for a little bit, so you don't have them right away. Uh, Is Manning better than it was five years ago? Yeah, probably Um, but we don't have enough across the force because of distribution problems. And so that we are still using, you know, TEM ads, um, taking sailors off ships in the maintenance phase and putting them on ships, getting ready to deploy, trying to get them there right when they're getting that, you know, sweet training so that we're not doing dumb things like, okay, put them in there for that training and then you pull them out and then they go on deployment. So we're trying to be, you know, smart about it. Um, but it remains a challenge, and uh, and we continue to try to work through that. As uh, the jail retention, the numbers um, are are about what I would say average for us. We're about thirty four percent, I think, was the last time I looked. Uh, we continue to to look at things like um, uh, bonuses. But what we've learned is the you know the bonus will keep you at a certain level, but it's not going to make you jump right. And so there's other things. Uh, that I get at when I talk to JOs and 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 you you guys interview these these folks out there and they write for you. some pretty smart ones out there, you know. And uh, the questions they ask me, so I've sort of got a what I would call a couple of virtual CAGs going on, you know, some with JOs and and then connecting with other O sixes and trying to understand, you know, what they want. They're very interested in talent management. I'm very interested in talent management. We do that pretty good at a senior level. Trying to figure out how I can do that better at a. Um, at the JO level, um, and, uh, and and so it's a good back and forth. Uh, but yeah, Manning will always be a concern for me, I think. Uh, and then making sure we're keeping the right ones right—it's—it's that's it's a challenge. And uh, and I find that just getting out there and doing engagement and listening is uh, is very helpful.
1: Uh, our guest is uh, Vice Admiral Roy Kitchener, and he and Rear Admiral Brad Cooper and Rear Admiral Paul Schleese have co-authored this article that's a Proceedings Online piece. It is called What Got Us Here Won't Get Us There, a focus on advanced tactical training for the surface Navy. Uh, sir, any, any last, you know, parting shots?
2: I got to tell you, with uh, the last year and what we've asked our sailors to do uh, with the COVID and the long deployments and the ROMs before deployments and the restrictions when they're in port, boy, if we can retain this group, you know, that uh, have come through the last year, going to be a pretty resilient force in the future. And I'd just like to thank them all for for their hard work over the last year.
1: Well said. It certainly has been a a challenging year for the Navy, the Sea Services in general, Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. And uh, sir, thanks for your time today. It's been great having you on the show. Uh, thanks to you and Admiral Cooper and Admiral Schles for uh, for writing this article. We look forward to the feedback that it will engender from some of those uh, junior officers, uh, who I'm sure will will pick up on it and say, "Hey, the admiral said this, and here's a way to go after that." Right, which is always what happens.
2: Thank you very very much for having me here today, and and I'm hoping this sparks a really good conversation.
0: Well, thanks for the time, ship boss. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to see you in person before too long. It won't be this SNA, but uh, hopefully, we'll see you at West out at your place uh, in, yeah, in late so. June. So, thank you, sir. That'll do it for this episode of the Proceedings Podcast. Remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute. We'll see you again very soon.